Our scripture today is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I served with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I am convinced, is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with his holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. While I was in Wales, um, my mum found some letters uh, in her mum's Bible, and, which is my grandma. And here we see a picture of my grandma. And as long as the ferns aren't obscuring, this is how cute I used to look. <laughs> and then there's my ugly big brother, Chris. Yeah. He wasn't blessed in that area, but uh, that's uh, me there. And, uh, and, and so my mum showed me these letters that she'd found in her mum's Bible. And these letters were from my grandma's mum, which is my great-grandmother. I never knew uh, any of my great-grandparents. And, uh, um, but my grandma had held on to these letters for uh, years um, until she passed away last year. So until she was 94, she held on to these letters. They were so precious to her. And so my mum, um, so my mum read them um, and then she showed them to me. And if you want to have a look at them afterwards, I do have a printout of them here. Um, but what I found out was that these letters were written during uh, World War II, uh, and they were letters from a mother to her young daughter, um, whose name was Joan, and uh, who had been evacuated. So my grandma was, in fact, in fact, both of my grandmas were evacuees, and uh, my other one on my dad's side is actually still alive, so she's living with my mum and dad in, in Wales. But let's listen to what Joan's mum wrote to her. This is an ex excerpt from the first letter. It says, and here is the first letter, it says, I received your letter this morning, and I knew that you would get homesick, 
my dear. It would be more strange if you did not, but now is the time to show that you have some pluck. And I want you to be sensible and stay for a time longer until we see how things turn. There still seems to be a glimmer of hope that the nations will come to an agreement, then everything will turn out all right. But if they, but if they go on and continue at war, I feel sure that you will be best off far away. And Joan, my dear, we are always in God's keeping, and don't let a lot of, of silly talk frighten you. And then she goes on. My darling, I didn't want to part with you, but I did it for your own welfare. So you have to keep your chin up and wait a little longer and see how things turn out. So go have all the fun that you can and help as much as you possibly can. Now, just now, just let me have a more cheerful letter back. Show that you are British. I will write again soon. So cheer up. We will all send our love. We all send our love and kisses. Fondest love from your loving mother and your dad. Best regards to Mrs. Bromley, who I assume she was staying with. And then the second letter, here's an excerpt from there. I hope your shoes are still not, are not still hurting. How are you going on at school? Now, now, dear, everyone I've talked to whose children are away say they want to come home, but I think it will be wiser to wait a little while and see what happens. Len is going away Saturday, and you know how, I'm, how I will miss him very much, but he's pleased that he's got a ship. Now, my mum, after this, uh, she, t- she told me about my grandma's brother, Len, and she wrote this. Of course, he died on a ship, HMS Eskimo, in July 1943. And then she said, Dad and I hope, hope to commemorate him when we visit Sicily on holiday, and they're currently on that holiday now. Yeah, back to the letter. We have two cockerels to fatten for Xmas, and Banjo thinks that they are queer creatures. If you don't know what a cockerel is, it's a rooster. Uh, now, I hope I feel, I'll, I'll feel better for a time, so I'll try and get your clothes that I promised. I haven't forgotten about your dress, my dear, but it will be much better when you can be home and we can see to your clothes Dad and everyone send their love and write to me soon. Tell me what books you are reading. That's a question I ask my girls all the time. What are you reading? Now we know that I came, uh, I came by that fairly. Um, I'll close for now, darling. So good night and God bless. Love from your loving mother and your dad, end quote. So as we can see that Joan's mum, my great-grandma, in the middle of war was encouraging Joan to have have pluck, to cheer up, to keep her chin up. And I imagine that in the midst of the sadness and the loneliness, that these were the words that Joan needed to hear. Earlier this week, um, my mum sent me another message which read this. Further context for you, mum was away at boarding school when Auntie Olive visited to tell her that her mum had died. She was only 14. So those letters, these letters on the screen, were probably one of, if not the last ones, that she received from her mum. And the fact that these letters were found in my grandma's, in my, in my grandma Joan's Bible after she died aged 94, and she probably got them when she was 12 or 13, um, is a real sign of how important these letters were to her, Right? We're on week five of our autumn series, How Disciples 
live, not what disciples believe, but how disciples live. So what have we seen through our series so far? Well, we've seen we've, week when we learned that disciples must first do a cost analysis. They, they have to count the cost, as Luke 14 tells us. Week two taught us that uh, disciples, they gather close to him so that his Jesusness can rub off on us. Week three was that uh, disciples treat wealth as a stepping stone to true wealth. Uh, wealth exists to make friends for Jesus so that when this temporary, um, when our temporary wealth fails, we will be welcomed into eternal dwellings, as Luke 16 tells us. Uh, Luke, uh, week four, we learned that uh, disciples of Jesus, uh, they know that, that godliness is good and that contentment is good, but um, godliness plus contentment is great gain. So in summary, what we've seen for the, past, for the first four weeks of this series is that disciples live by counting the cost, uh, by getting close to Jesus, uh, by using our earthly resources for eternal purposes, and by building a life of contentment and of godliness. And this morning, we will see that disciples treat self-encouragement Seriously, and as we can see on the picture, you've got someone talking to themselves, and if you don't start getting encouraged, so help me, right? We, as uh, someone f- following Christ, maybe you've had that moment looking in the window, you know, uh, looking in the mirror, you know, um, you know, just trying to encourage yourself. As followers of Christ, in a discouraging world, we take self-encouragement seriously. And the simple truth... Um, is that if we don't take our own self-encouragement seriously, if we rely on someone else to encourage us, then we will be in trouble. If, if you and I don't occasionally take ourselves by the lapels of our shirt and almost shake ourselves and say, okay, come on, Jesus loves you, cheer up, have some pluck, then things are not going to go very well. Just like my great-grandma writing to my grandma, there are two letters that we have from Paul to Timothy. First Timothy is the first one, and second Timothy is the second one. Last, one, last week, if you remember, we looked at the last few verses in the first letter, um, which was written between 62 AD and 64 AD, and this was written while Timothy was pastoring a church in Ephesus. Now, in this second letter, we're, we're, we're looking at just a couple of verses of this passage this morning. And, and this pastor, Timothy, he's still ministering um, in the city of Ephesus. He's still pastoring on. But Paul's situation, the one who's writing the letter, his circumstances have changed. Paul is now in prison in Rome, and in all likelihood, he's not expecting to be alive for much longer. So we can view these, these words from Paul as kind of his last effort to encourage this young leader. And this morning, we're just focusing on three verses, verses five through seven. Now, if you didn't have long to live, okay, if you knew or, or, or you knew that there was, there was a chance that you would not be alive for much longer, I wonder what you would write to your loved ones. How would you encourage them in their faith? What words would you want to have ringing in their ear 40, 50, 60, 70 years later in this letter kept in their Bible? You see, these final words can be incredibly precious. 
especially if they're words of encouragement that can help carry someone through a hard time. So let's look at at these three verses this morning and just find out how exactly a disciple of Jesus Christ should take their own self-encouragement very seriously. Verse 3 says this, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. Here we have an older father figure in the faith telling this young Jesus follower to recall his faith heritage. This is step one in self-encouragement, is recalling the faith. Paul, uh, he tells us that that, uh, this, this young pastor's faith family goes back at least as far as his grandma right? Lois. Paul knows Lois by name, maybe because Timothy has talked about her, but more likely because Paul has actually met her. He says, I recall your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois. There's something very powerful in times of discouragement about tracing back your family faith lineage, because remembering these these links and these connections often causes uh, thankfulness, to rise up in your heart, which will fight against um, the negativity or the discouragement that you might be feeling, uh, because you see that God has been working in this world for much longer than you have been alive. And so in these letters to Grandma Joan, note all of the family connections which are mentioned, right? She, she, uh, my Grandma Joan's mother talks about her sister Olive, she talks about Len, which is uh, my great, great, great-grandma's brother, or my grandma's brother, uh, she, she talks about my, my grandma's dad, she talks about her mum, she talks about Rose, which is an aunt, she even talks about Banjo, who, like I said, is probably the, you know, the family dog. She also writes to her, she says this interesting phrase that you don't hear very often nowadays, she says, show that you are British. Now, of course, appealing to nationality, especially in nowadays, only goes so far. But in wartime, in that context, when you were part of an allied nation that was fighting against Axis nations, um, it was right for you to appeal to your nationhood. It showed that you are part of something larger than just that sadness and that loneliness that you were feeling in your evacuated state far from home, that you were part of something larger. Joan was British. And so through referencing these family connections and saying that, reminding her that, that what her nation is, without saying it, mother is saying to Joan, this is who you are. This is how you are connected. She's grounding Joan in her heritage, and Paul does the same. He says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. Paul is saying that, you know, the type of faith which Timothy had and the kind of faith and the nature of the faith which Timothy has is the same kind of faith and the same nature of faith that Lois had, that Eunice had, that helped them get through life right up until the end. And what this tells us is that faith as a thing, faith as a concept is transmittable. It's something that we can we can actually pass on. It is something which we can hand on. It started in Lois, it went to Eunice, and then it ended up in Timothy. And 
If you know anything about this young pastor, you might know that, that Timothy is a bit of a timid type. He's a bit of a wimp. He's a bit of a scaredy cat. Uh, he was fearful. He was prone to sickness. He was um, easily intimidated. Uh, he wouldn't have impressed you or I uh, stood up on stage. Maybe you can relate. But what we do know about him is that he was a man of sincere faith who followed God's calling into the ministry of pastoring this church in the city of Ephesus. This sincere faith that enabled Timothy to live out God's calling in his life first lived in his grandmother, Lois. And I think that this can be very encouraging to those of us here who are maybe older in the faith. Because what this means is that for those who are under your care, those over whom you have any influence at all, they can get a feel for the type of faith that you have, and then they can choose to make it their own. So if you're an older Christian, then be encouraged. Also, if you're a solo parent or the only, only Christian in your marriage, then also be encouraged. You see, Acts chapter 16 verse 1 tells us that Timothy was the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. He was a Gentile. And so even without the positive influence of a second parent, God in his goodness and grace will use your example to plant gospel seeds of hope and faith in the lives of your children, whether your biological children or your spiritual children and their children. And this ancestry, this heritage can start with you. And finally, if you're a bit of a timid one, you know, if you're a Timothy and you love Jesus, but you're prone to be discouraged, then you must take your self-encouragement seriously by recalling the faith. Recalling your lineage of faith. Recall where your faith came from. Who was it who showed Jesus to you? Like, think of them in your mind right now. Who was it who quietly impressed on you the truth and the reality that there is a God who loves you and who longs for you to know him? Who was that individual? Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a grandparent. Maybe it was a friend or a colleague, or a pastor, or a neighbor, or a Sunday school teacher, or a mentor, or a friend. Maybe it was a mixture of all of these. Write down their names, and maybe if they're still alive, it might be a nice idea just to let them know that when you recall your sincere faith, they are the ones who come to mind. Now let's move on and see what is the next step in encouraging yourself in a discouraging world. Verse 6, therefore I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. So the first step of self-encouragement is recalling the faith. The second step is rekindling the gift. And just like faith can be forgotten and needs to be recalled, so the gift of God can grow cold and needs to be rekindled. It needs to be blown on. You know, this is what happens when 
uh, maybe our passion for God fades away or the gifts that we used to use have fallen out of use. We've not used them for a number of months or years. It's a bit like an atrophying muscle, right? After lack of uh, use, work then has to be done on that muscle so that it can come back to health. And uh, Or like in this example, if, if, that, if that flame of your gifting has fallen down to an ember, if it's just hot coals, nothing more than what happens is you have to blow on it. You have to blow on it. You have to rekindle your gift. Now, Paul's not clear what this gift is, but we find some clues in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, which says this, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech and love and conduct, uh, in love, in faith and in purity. Until I come, here it is, give your attention to public reading, to exhortation and teaching. Don't neglect the gift in you, it was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Verse 15, here it is. Practice these things and be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. I wonder how many times you think of this verse and you apply it to your life, you know, to see that growth and that change and that maturity, um, you know, to live it out so that those around you can see it. So in 1 Timothy 4, uh, Paul warns Timothy, do not neglect the gift. And then in 2 Timothy 1, just a couple of chapters later, Paul is telling Timothy to rekindle the gift. And so it seems to me that Timothy in some way did neglect the gift. Otherwise, it wouldn't need to be rekindled, right? It seems to me like this is kind of uh, going from bad or potentially bad risk to worse, you know, to something actually happening. And of course, we can do the same, right? In fact, some of us have gifts that, like I said, we've received from God that we've allowed to lie dormant for many years or months. I think, you know, COVID probably did a number on the, on the gift usage of the church, I would imagine. And uh, many of us saw a low ebb in our gift usage. And so one of the prime reasons for, uh, you know, for people like you, people who love Jesus, like, like you and I, maybe Timothy as well, one of the main reasons that we get discouraged is because we're not living in our gifting. We're not using our gifts. And, but what are these? You know, if we don't know what our gifts are, then how can we re- rekindle them. Well, Scripture talks about really two types of gifts. Um, And the first one, um, you know, there may be more, but in my sermon research, this is what I found out. Um, And so the first gift is the gift of salvation. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? And if you're someone sat here who's never opened the gift of God, If you know this, then this is the gift for you. This is the gift that maybe you need to rekindle in your life. You know, it's the gift of God, eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord, is being offered to you. It's not something you can earn. It's not something that that you can pay for. You do earn the wages of sin, but uh, you receive the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so if you're discouraged and you don't know Jesus, then maybe this is the start of your journey towards self-encouragement. So that's one gift of God. But 
I think the one that Paul's referring to this morning is a bit of a different type of gift. And this gift is one that is sovereignly given by Almighty God. Okay, you just imagine that. He's, he's up there and he sovereignly handed out all these gifts to us individually for the purpose of building the kingdom. And so we, we see this type of gift referred to in 1 Peter 4 verse 9. It says, be hospitable to one another without complaining, just as each one has received a gift. There it is. Each one has received a gift. Use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. So it's a gift to serve others. And then Peter then refers to a couple of examples. He says, he says um, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks the word of God. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. So here we see specifically there's the gift of speaking and there's the gift of serving, okay? But those aren't the only two gifts, okay? Otherwise, I'd be out of a job. If half of you had the gift of speaking, then, uh, you know, we'd have to figure out something else on a Sunday morning, right? Um, but so what other gifts might there be? Well, here, 1 Corinthians 12, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Um, to one is given a message of wisdom, that's one gift, through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy to another, distinguishing between spirits to another, distinguishing kinds of tongues to another, interpreting, uh, sorry, not distinguishing types of tongues, different types of tongues. This is speaking in tongues and to another interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he will. So it's not your job what your gift is. The spirit he sovereignly gives you your gift. And it seems to me that it's quite clear that each person has one. Okay, so this is a bit more of a comprehensive list, but still it's not exhaustive. There are other lists of gifts in the Bible. Uh, but, but what I want you to hear is that these gifts aren't all given to the pastor, right? I'm not the sole repository of these gifts. In fact, my job is this. He himself gave some to be apostles, Ephesians 4, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, uh, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Okay, this is Nathan's job. This is my job, is that we are here to equip you so that you can do what you need you know, to do with your gift that has been sovereignly given you by the Holy Spirit. So who among you has the gift of wisdom? Who among you has the gift of knowledge or the gift of healing or the gift of miracles or the gift of maybe prophecy or distinguishing between spirits? Which of you can speak in tongues? Which of you can interpret tongues? Imagine if we as a church all operated in our gifting. Imagine how encouraging that would be on a Sunday morning, right? Our gifts 
are the way that both we as a church and people outside the church know that the Holy Spirit is real. Our gifts, in a sense, are the spirit with skin on. So what are your gifts? What is your gift? Maybe you know what it is, but you're keeping it on the down low. Or maybe you don't know what it is. Maybe you have a suspicion, but you're afraid that if you speak it out, then it's spiritual pride. Now, many of us can think of examples of people who've used their gifts in a proud way, in a look-at-me way. But the response to the misuses of the gift isn't to not use them or to shove them down so deep that no one knows that they're there except you. Instead, the response to improper use of gifts is to steward them wisely and use them properly. So if you've, fallen, if you've allowed your gift to fall into misuse, then maybe this morning or this week, but maybe this morning, it's time to blow on the coals of our gifting, as it were, to rekindle this gift from God. If you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, my friends, take your self-encouragement seriously by recalling your faith and rekindling the gift from God. And the reason that we know this isn't just a fantasy, this isn't just religious speak, this isn't just a nice idea, is because of verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and sound judgment. What would keep you from living encouraged? Probably the, the, the worst thing or the most effective thing to keep you from living encouraged is a spirit of fear. You know, don't allow God in. If you allow God in, then you're going to lose control. You don't want to lose control. So keep control, keep safe, keep small, fly under the radar. Don't overdo it. Don't be too enthusiastic. After all, you're British, or you're Canadian, or you're Dutch. You know what the origin of the word enthusiastic is? The word enthusiastic comes from these two words, en Theos, which means in God. So if so you are enthusiastic when you realize who you are in God and when you appropriate the gifts that you've received from Him. We have a letter here in, in 2 Timothy. We have a letter from God. We have a letter that's part of a larger collection of letters from God. And this letter in 2 Timothy tells us to have pluck. It tells us to cheer up. It tells us to keep our chin up. It's a letter that tells us, instead of fear, that God has, that he, He's given us a spirit, a pneuma, a breath of power and love, and sound judgment. And so what overcomes this lying spirit of fear that causes us to forget our faith lineage? Well, it's the spirit of the power of God. The spirit of God who is powerful and who has been given to us. 
And what is it that overcomes the lying spirit of fear that causes us to shrink back and cower and not take risks and not live in our gifting? Well, it's the spirit of the power of God. You know, the spirit of God is love and he's been given to us. He's a spirit of power. He's a spirit of love. Through him, we have access to power. Through him, we have access to love. And through the Spirit, we have access to something that's maybe not very sexy, but it's there. Sound judgment. One of the fears if, of if we let the Spirit in is that we'll lose control, that we'll lose our minds. But along with power and love, we've been promised a third thing, which is sound judgment. Jesus says this in John 16, verse 3, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So what can we do this morning? Friends, if you are discouraged, then probably the first thing that you can do is to receive the Holy Spirit. To let him in, to open your heart, to open your mind to open your life, to allow him in so that through him you can recall your faith heritage and that through him you can rekindle the gift of God. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you can't rekindle the gift. And like I said earlier, maybe you don't know what your gift is. Well, that's okay because Timothy received his through the laying on of hands. So, here's the offer this morning, is that if you're ready to receive your gift from God for the church and for the kingdom, then as we sing this last song, I I invite you to come forward and to actually do something that requires pluck, that requires keeping your chin up, that requires, you know, cheering up, that requires taking your self-encouragement very seriously. And as you sing this song, if you already know what it is and you're already filled with the Spirit, you know, it's okay. Or if now isn't the moment, that's okay as well. You know, this isn't a place of pressure, but it is a place with opportunity. And so as we sing this first song, you know, um, I invite you to come up and to kneel. and And then after that first song, we'll have a video worship song and, and, uh, and at that moment, I would like Wendy and I and maybe even Nathan, you know, to come up and as the, you know, as some sort of elders of the church, we can pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. Because, friends, it's time to stop living discouraged. It's time to stop living in a spirit of fear. Instead, claim what is yours. Claim what Jesus won for you when he died and rose again. When he ascended into heaven and then he sent the Holy Spirit, the spirit of power, the spirit of love, the spirit of sound judgment. And so as the worship team closes in this song, come forward and allow the Holy Spirit to do in you what only he can do.